Hello, the bitch is back in the building, yes. Hello and welcome mga bitch, it's me, your detective, Martin Rules, and welcome back to my channel. And you know what time it is, it's Philippine True Crime Stories Day. Okay, before we even proceed with the rest of my intro, you know, the shenanigans and shit. Let me explain muna kung bakit ako nawala, oo. So, it has been a month since my last upload. Sa kandahilan ng ako ay nag-positive sa COVID. And as a mahinhin na binibini, you know, hindi ko inaakala na magkakaroon ako ng virus. Dahil pinafollow natin ng mga health protocols in this household, pati sa labas, oo. Pero nga kahit anong pag-iingat natin, kung yung gobyerno natin ay walang ginagawa at walang sense of urgency, wala rin mangyayari, oo. Lahat tayo talaga magkakaroon ng COVID. Anyway, I took a lot of time to rest, kahit na mild lang yung symptoms ko, um, minature ko pa rin na makapagpahinga na maayos. Hence, wala tayong upload for a month. And ito, partida pa, nabakunahan ako. Paano na lang kung hindi? For sure, mas severe yung symptoms mararanasan ko. Or worst, death. I'm not saying this to scare the shit out of you or whatnot. I'm just saying na get vaccinated para magkaroon tayo ng immunity sa virus. Dahil yung mga number of cases ay hindi na lang sa labas-labas ng numero. Meron na silang muka, meron na silang pangalan. Uh, maaring yung friends nyo or malayo nyo kamag-anak, meron na. At baka kayo rin, hindi nyo alam hindi, or hindi kayo aware na nag-positive na pala kayo. Yung social media right now ay isang malaking obituary dahil sa mga candles and black profile pictures dahil sa dami ng deaths. Kaya hindi ko mag-get si mga hindi naniniwala sa COVID at hindi nagpapabakuna dahil, alam yun, kalat na sa paligid yung mga namamatay, may mga healthcare workers na namamatay, yung mga health professionals na nagsabi na totoo to. So, what the fuck? Basta, hindi ko talaga sila maintindihan kung bakit ayaw nila ng vaccine at hindi sila naniniwala nag-exist or totoo yung COVID. Like, kaya naman, please get vaccinated and register to vote. Mm-hmm. Exercise your rights. Mm-hmm. Yes. Dahil, Um, sa pagkakalam ko, in-extend ni Comelec yung pagrehistro. Also, maraming salamat pala sa mga nangamusta at nangalampag sa akin. Dahil wala pa rin akong uploads. Oo, maraming salamat sa inyo. Yes. Kayo naman, kamusta kayo lahat. I hope you guys, girls, and my non-binary friends are safe and healthy. Kung bago kayo sa aking channel, hello, my name is Martin. And tuwing Thursday, gumagawa ako ng video tungkol sa totoong krimen o misteryo na nangyari sa Pilipinas habang nag-makeup. Kaya naman, kung interesado ka sa ganitong klaseng contents, I highly suggest na mag-subscribe ka na sa akin channel for more contents like this. Huwag mo rin kalimutan na i-click yung bell button para naman makalembang ka pag meron tayong bagong uploads. And lastly, if you have any questions tungkol sa topic natin for today or sa mga makeup na i-apply ko, Okay, kayo mahihaan na magtanong sa comment section below. Okay, so last time, pinag-usapan natin yung unsolved murder ni Ramjan Revilla. And today naman, we are going to talk about some of the victims of human rights violation during the presidency of Ferdinand Marcos under martial law. Notice I used the word some dahil sobrang daming atrocities ang nangyari during the regime of Marcos and we can't 
cover them all. Yung mga story ng mga biktima that I'm going to share with you today are the ones available to me during my research. Okay? Let's start. Babala. Ang mga susunod na imahe, istorya, at description ay maaari makapagdulot ng takot. Huwag magpatuloy kung kinakailangan. Sobrang timely nito dahil noong September 1972, same month, different year, Marcos declared martial law. I did not say the exact date dahil maraming sabi na September 23 daw at hindi 21 and the other way around. Ayon sa mga historian, although Marcos signed the Proclamation Number 1081 September 21, 1972, hindi daw ito nag-take effect agad at actually September 23 daw nag-take effect yung um, proclamation nito. After an alleged ambush sa convoy ni Enrile sa Wakwak subdivision noong September 22, which Enrile later revealed noong 1986 na it was staged by Marcos. Mm-hmm. Kinabukasan, September 23, 1972, nagsimula na yung pag-aresto sa mga opposition, katulad na lang ni Ninoy Aquino, um, Jose Jocno, Lorenzo Tanyada at Jovito Salonga, at iba pang mga nagcha-challenge or nagtitret sa government ni Marcos. And then, it was 7.15pm, September 23, same year 1972, Marcos appeared on live television announcing or declaring martial law dahil sa alleged communist insurgency ng Communist Party of the Philippines at Muslim Separatist Movement ng MIM or Muslim Independence Movement. This marked the beginning of a 14-year period of one-man rule, isang madilim na kabanata sa kasaysayan ng Pilipinas. At kung tatanungin nyo ko kung bakit September 21, well, ayon sa libro ni Conrado de Quiros na Dead Aim, gusto raw ni Marcos yung uh, September 21 dahil sa auspiciousness in numerology. Tsaka meron daw siyang obsession or he consider um, number 7 or any number divisible by 7. Ito, I'm not really sure kung coincidence lang or he really liked the date, pero the next year, September 21, 1973, he proclaimed it as Thanksgiving Day. Proclamation number 1180 to memorialize the day as the foundation day of his new society. Or hindi naman kaya, it's his way to hide his dirty works during martial law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pero either September 21 or September 23, ang malinaw dito ay yung abuse of power na naranasan ng mga Pilipinong lumaban para sa demokrasya ng Pilipinas at yung divide na nararanasan nating mga Pilipino hanggang ngayon at pumipigil sa pagkakaisa natin. By the way, share ko lang na I'm currently reading a book by Primitivo Mijares, isang pressman at trusted aide ni Marcos. Ang title ng book ay The Conjugal Dictatorship of Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos. And there, si President Nixon ng US at si Marcos had an overseas telephone communication or conversation about bombs exploding all over Manila katulad na lang nung 1971 
Plaza Miranda bombing, which many believe si Marcos mismo yung nagmastermind ng attack, pero he blamed it to communist terror attack to justify his implementation of martial law and his authoritarian rule. Nixon told Marcos to go ahead with his plans dahil si Nixon wanted to see Marcos martial law to work. So he has a you know um model to follow which he could adopt later in the United States. During this time kasi si Nixon is also having a problem about Watergate scandal. Pero compared kay Marcos na nagstay sa power, he chose to resign kaysa ma-impeach. One thing they have in common or share an interest, these two are staunch anti-communist politician. Kaya, you know, sanggandikit. Anyway, a week before the declaration of martial law, may ilang mga tao na nakakaalam na nung um, plan or decision ni Marcos. Inexpose ito ni Senator Nino Aquino noong September 13, 1972 sa Senate during his privilege speech what was known as Opland Sagittarius. At nakareceive daw itong si Ninoy ng top-secret military plan by Marcos. Sa memoir ni Juan Ponce Enrile na Justice Secretary at that time, he was instructed by Marcos on a late afternoon, December 1969, na pag-aralan yung powers ng Presidente as Commander-in-Chief under the provision of 1935 Constitution. And as you can see, Prior sa implementation or declaration ng martial law noong 1972, ilang taon na nila itong pinaplano. Sa diary ni Marcos noong May 8, 1972, nakalagay doon na he instructed the military to update its plans, including the list of personalities to be arrested. And then, nakipag-meet siya kay Enrile to finalize the legal paperwork required. Hence, the arrest of political oppositions, pati na rin yung mga other threats like the media, katulad na lang ni Joaquin Roses, Chodoro Loxin Jr., Maximo Solivin, Amando Doronila, and more. At sa 400 personalities targeted for arrest, 100 sa kanila were detained at Camp Trame. Maraming radio and television stations ang sinutdown ng military in full combat gears. Pati na rin yung other privately owned um, newspapers, magazines, and other media communications shut down. Basically, there is no press freedom dahil he controlled the flow of informations for the citizens. At in order niya to sequester the facilities of ABS-CBN Broadcasting Corporations, pati na rin yung mga associated broadcasting corporations. Katulad na lang ng mga radio stations na DZMT, DZTM, at DZWS. Yung mga sister radio stations sa Davao City, Cebu City, Lawag City, and Dagupan City. Pati na rin yung Channel 5 at yung sister TV stations sa Davao and Cebu City. Nilink ni Marcos itong mga networks na ito to a conspiracy with Communist Party. Ang sabi niya, yung owners at officers daw ng ABS-CBN at ABC, quote-unquote, are engaged in subversive activities against the government. However, pero mga pinayagan to operate na minamanage ng mga cronies ni Marcos 
para you know he can use it as a tool for his propaganda. Katulad na lang nung Banahaw Broadcasting Corporation or BBC na pagmumayare nung kloni ni Marcos ina si Roberto Benedicto took over ABS-CBN. Yung National Media Production Center naman or NMPC um, under information took over Channel 4 na naging official TV station ng government. Dakalaon Broadcasting System naman or KBS na isa pang pagmamayari ni Benedicto na TV station took over provincial station at uh, para magpakalat ng peace and order campaign. Ito ay kahit na maraming hinaras, dinitin, pinatay at nawawala during Marcos regime. Those are just the first wave of martial law and by declaring that, he suspended the writ of habeas corpus pati na rin yung 1935 constitution. He dissolved Congress at pinadlak yung doors ng batasang pangbansa and assumed the legislative and executive powers. With such power and resources to him and the military to save democracy, we all know that it can be corrupted. And ayun nga ang nangyari. Beyond the lights and glamour of censored television and broadcasting lies a dark face of martial law. They were able to commit numbers of human rights violations towards the dissenters activists, communists, oppositions, and Muslims. Basically, anyone na against sa government niya may consequences na katapat. Katulad na lang ni Senator Ramon Mitra na inilagay sa solitary confinement for about 100 days with nobody to talk to. Gigisingin siya ng 1am, dadalhin siya sa labas ng kanyang selda at ipaparamig sa kanya yung mga potok ng barel Pagkatapos, ibabalik ulit siya sa kanyang selda. This kind of psychological torture, katulad ng pag-isolate at paggamit ng force, ay para mag-instill ng takot at uh, to shake one's principle. Okay, bago tayo magpatuloy, gusto ko muna kayong tanungin mga kabetsyang. Do you ever wonder how I create my podcast? Gusto nyo bang magsimula na rin ng sarili ninyong show at i-conquer ang podcasting world pero worried kayo sa recording, editing, at iba pang masasamang elemento na maaaring pumigil sa vibe ninyo? Well, worry no more honey dahil sobrang easy na mag-start ng podcast ngayon using Anchor. Libre lang today at sa mismong app, you can already record and edit your podcast and publish it on various platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, at marami pang iba. As your gay detective, I can attest to the fact that Anchor is guilty for being the easiest way to make a podcast. So download it now on App Store, Play Store, or access it via the website www.anchor.fm for free! Anchor, everything you need to make a podcast. Now back to the episode. This kind of psychological torture katulad ng pag-isolate at paggamit ng force, ay para mag-instill ng takot at uh, to shake one's principle. Si Jose Jocno at Ninoy Aquino naman, as unang inaresto nung napatapad yung marshalo, ay dinitin at nung ika-fifth month nila, nilagyan sila ng blindfold at inilipat sila sa may fort magsaysay sa Laor Nueva Ecija. 
at doon nagpatuloy ang kanilang incarceration. Pero it got me thinking na kung they were able to do this sa mga nakaupo sa pwesto, sa mga mayayaman, paano na lang yung mga aktivista, yung mga estudyante, at saka yung mga walang kapangyarihang sibilyan na merong hinaing sa rehimen ni Marcos. Well, marami sa kanila ang inaresto ng walang warrant, detained illegally, and subjected under extreme physical torture. At yung cases ng torture at illegal detention ay nangyari sa mga undisclosed safe house and military camps. Palipat-lipat sila from Camp Emilio Aguinaldo, Camp Bagong Diwa, um, Camp Crame, at Fort Bonifacio. Si Roland Simbulan, former faculty regent ng UP at um, organizer sa Kabataang Makabayan sa Ateneo de Manila High School, described yung pagtorture at pagdetain sa kanya sa mga military camps. Ang sabi niya, he was a student in UP nung suddenly inaresto siya at blindfold no constabulary security unit. Pinasasan daw siya at pagkatapos sinabit sa wall at ginawang punching bag. Pinapaamin din siya about dun sa mga kasamahan niya. And then after a month, transfer siya sa Fort Bonifacio kung saan meron siyang nakausap na farmer. And then nung nakita yun ni Lieutenant Rodolfo Aguinaldo, inadyakan siya at pagkatapos inilipat sa may Epil Rehabilitation Center for eight months. Si Peter Villasenor naman ay tinala sa may bataan at inorture for nine days and nine nights. Habang nakatali siya sa kisame ng nakahubad, yung mga sundalo raw ay pinipitik yung ari niya at pinapasukan ng walis tambo yung labasan ng ihi niya. Tinutusok din siya ng tamtak sa daliri, nilagyan ng bayonet sa siko at sa bunganga. Si Sator Ocampo ay isang writer at journalist. He was brought into a safe house ng nakatale at may blindfold. Pagkatapos yung mga sundalo, uh, tinapunan siya ng soft drinks, sabay kinuryente siya. Yung utong at ari niya ay pinaso and he was forced to eat manure, aka organic fertilizer composed of animal feces dahil kung hindi, puputulin yung ari niya o hindi naman kaya papatayin siya. Si Eta Rosales naman ay isang guro sa Jose Rizal College at dinala raw siya sa isang safe house sa Pasig kung saan siya tinorture. Hubot-hubad siyang kinuryente, sinakal at pinaso ng kandila. She also suffered Russian roulette. Tumigil lang yung mga torturer when she pretended to be dying. Ito nakakaloka kasi yung isa sa mga torturer niya na si Lieutenant Rodolfo Aguinaldo even became her colleague sa House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. By the way, yung Rodolfo Aguinaldo na yan ay isang psycho dahil he placed 10 detainees sa isang maliit na kulungan with only a thin can para ihian nila. And actually, yung isa sa mga detainees na yon ay pregnant at nagkaroon ng respiratory infection na kumalat sa iba pang detainees dun sa area. Anyway, si Hilda Narciso naman was placed in a small room kung saan siya ginahasa. Pinapakain siya ng bulate at bulok na isda. And may time pa na after niyang makatulog, ginigising siya para torturein ulit. Si Faye Mangahas ay isang historian sa University of the East. Inaresto naman siya along with her husband na si Robert, isang poet. She was detained for one night pero yung asawa niya 
was held captive for 19 months. And sa isang araw niyang nadetained, dinescribe niya yung Camp Aguinaldo as yung mga tao doon parang mga naglalakad na zombie. And meron silang tinatawag doon sa lugar na yon na White House kung saan naririnig nila yung mga babaeng ginagahasa or minomolest siya. Si Judy Tagiwalo ay isang student activist at community organizer at that time. Dinala raw siya sa military office sa Iloilo, pinaghubad at winutter torture. And pinipilit siya ng sundalo na paupuin dun sa bloke ng yelo pero lumaban siya. And she felt lucky na hindi siya ginahasa. Ito yung maliit na kwento ng mga biktimang nakasurvive. Makikita na systemic or premeditated yung violation sa kanila. Way ito nung rehimen ni Marcos to dehumanize and break their spirit sa pag-challenge nila sa pamamuno niya. Dahil alam naman natin na ang pag-torture ay ginagamit para mag-extract ng information or confession dun sa mga taong suspected nilang kasali or involved sa rebellion to overthrow the government. And with that, the victim will implicate somebody para itigil na yung pag-torture sa kanila. The thing is, itong mga taong pinahirapan nila at binigyan ng physical and mental trauma ay hindi mga rebelde. They are simple citizens at mga aktivistang may nakikitang mali sa sistema at kumakampanya for political and social change. Pero during martial law or Marcos time, if you are suspected na member ng Communist Party of the Philippines, you will be tortured and here are the techniques na ginagawa nila. Electric shock na ginagamit sa are at daliri ng biktima. Truth serum administered sa V. Luna General Hospital to make the victim talk like drunk. Russian roulette, ito isa pa sa mga favorite nilang pang torture or pang terrify sa mga victims dahil lalagyan ng mga sundalo. Yung revolver ng isang bullet at itututok nila sa ulo mo at ipupul nila yung trigger hanggang sa umamin ka. Water torture, binubuhusan or ginigripuhan yung mga biktima sa bibig habang sinisikmuraan sila or binubugbog sa ibang parte ng katawan. Flat iron and cigar burns. I assume alam niyo na ito dahil lahat ng victims ay dumadaan sa torture na ito dahil ang patriotism does not choose any gender. Meron pa actually, katulad ng bambubugbog, paghampas ng rifle butts, pananakal using hands, wire, or steel bar, at pagtrato sa mga biktima na parang hayop. We're lucky to hear these stories told by those who survived. Pero karamihan sa kanila did not live to tell their tales. Some of the political detainees never came home and disappeared without a trace. Katulad nilang ni Emmanuel I. Alvarez na 27 years old, student organizer na inabdak sa Cavite noong 1976. Si Albert R. Enriquez, 22 years old, student activist, inabdak noong 1985 habang pauwi sa Lucena. Si Maria Leticia Piladlad, 25 years old, isang student community organizer at campus writer ay nawala noong 1975 sa Tacloban. Si Hermon C. Lagman, isang 32-year-old activist at human rights lawyer, inabdak sa bagong bantay Quezon City noong 1977. Si Mariano Lopez, 24-year-old student organizer, na inaresto sa Isabela noong 1974. 24-year-old na student organizer and campus journalist na si Rodelo Z. Manawag huling nakita sa UP Los Baños noong 1984. Si Manuel F. Ontong, isang 29-year-old artist, tinakip siya ng mga civilian agents 
sa Philippine General Hospital noong 1975. 48-year-old na si Florencio Espesquesa na isang sugar farm worker na inabdak sa Alabang, Montilupa noong 1979. And the list goes on. Siguro yung pinaka-napabalita ang disappearance ay yung propaganda man ni Marcos na si Primitivo Mijares. Nag-testify siya against Marcos' graft, corruption, and repression sa US Congress at nag-publish ng book na The Conjugal Dictatorship of Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos na nagpo-provide ng inside information tungkol sa dictatorship ni Ferdinand Marcos. Kaya naman I highly recommend na basahin nyo yun. So anong nangyari? He was on his way to Manila and after that he disappeared and was never seen again. Pagkatapos mawala ni Primitivo Mijares, yung anak niya naman na si Boyet Mijares, 16 years old, was found in a dump outside Manila noong 1977. Ang sabi, yung body daw ni Boyet was thrown out by a military helicopter at sa sobrang torture, yung face niya was unrecognizable. Merong bullet holes sa dibdib niya, multiple stab wounds, Tinanggal din yung mata niya. Basag yung bungo, even his genitals were violently disfigured. All this just because his father wrote a book revealing the true colors of the Marcoses. Sa dami ng pinatay sa Remeni Marcos, we can't cover them all, but here are some of the victims. Si Liliosa Hilaw, isang estudyante at writer sa Pamantasang Lungsod ng Maynila, um, inaresto siya noong 1973. She was sexually molested and died in Camp Crame under the custody of Constabulary. The military claimed na she committed suicide by drinking muriatic acid. Pero nung sinagawa yung autopsy, napag-alaman na ginawang ashtray yung bunganga niya. They cut her up with a saw up to her vagina. They also cut her head. Tinanggal nila yung utak at lamang loob, tore them into pieces, and sinunk nila sa muriatic acid at nilagay sa container at dinalayon sa burol niya. During her funeral, um, there was a heavy presence of military katulad na lang nung libing ni Baby River. Remember? Si Liliosa ay 23 years old at unang case of death under the detention of Marcia Lo. Hey Betchangs! Wanna start your own podcast pero worried about what goes through the production process? Girl! If hindi mo pa naririnig, may I share with you Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Just download it via the App Store, Play Store, or access it from the website www.anchor.fm for free. Tapos meron silang creation tools doon that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right away. You also don't have to worry about the distribution on different platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and others dahil Anchor will do the job for you. Now back to the episode. Si Noel Cerudo o Cerudo Tierra naman ay miyembro ng Samahang Demokratikong Kabataan at UP Nationalist Corps. Poet and community organizer din siya sa farm sa Quezon Province at slums sa Quezon City. Dahil dito, ilang beses na siya inaresto, pero yung last na detention niya ay sa Camp in Quezon, kung saan tinorture siya for two weeks at pinagparade sa mga baryo habang may buhat ng sako ng bigas. And then after that, natagpuan yung katawan niya na tinapon sa may basketball court. He was 21 years old. Si William Vincent Bill Begg naman na isang Filipino-American seminarian 
na member ng UP Lipunang Pangkasaysayan. Inaresto siya during martial law dahil sa participation niya sa underground movement in Ateneo. He left UP and joined New People's Army noong 1974 at noong 1975 naman nahuli siya ng mga militar sa Isabela. Sinaksak siya ng labing pitong beses, 11 gunshot wounds, broken rib cage, and smash hands. He was 24 years old. Poet and literary writer naman si Emmanuel Eman Lacaba, 27 years old. He wrote pieces on Lapiang Malaya and Rizalist Kapatirans of Mount Manahaw. Noong 1974, pumunta siya sa Mindanao to join New People's Army. And then noong 1976 naman, um, he was wounded sa raid sa may Davao del Norte na ikinamatay ng dalawa niyang kasama. Eventually, nahuli siya with an 18-year-old pregnant comrade. And then, binaril muna nila yung babae. Pagkatapos, binaril nila si Eman sa bunganga at saka sa dibdeb. And then, tinalian siya sa paa at hinila ng parang baboy papunta dun sa um, common grave para ilibing siya. Si Juan Escandor naman ay isang doktor sa PGH at nag-aral sa UP. He organized protest in Sorsogon and joined New People's Army. Noong 1983, the military claimed na napatay nila ito during the encounter sa may Bohol Street and Bayudan Street sa Quezon City. Pero ang nakakapagtaka, yung mga residente doon ang sabi, wala silang narinig na putukan during that day. Huling nakita itong si Juan with Yolanda Gordula na nawala na lang bigla. Noong inexhumed yung body niya at nire-autopsied after niya ilibeng, they found out na binaril siya ng close range at hindi sa shootout. And doon sa findings nila, may evidence din na tinorture siya. Nakita nila doon na yung kanyang bungo ay puno ng maduming basahan, briefs, medyas at plastic bag. Yung brain and other organs niya were placed inside his stomach and nawawala rin yung kanyang isang mata. Durog yung mga buto niya sa kanyang katawan at puno ng black marks yung body niya, signs of hematoma. Si Edgar Edjop Jobson naman ay isang activist from Ateneo de Manila who led demonstrations against Marcos during the first quarter storm. Actually, nakipag-negotiate pa siya kay Marcos na Malacanang at the height of the siege of Menjola noong January 30, 1970. And then he asked Marcos to sign yung kasunduan na hindi na ito tatakbo for third term. Marcos replied and I quote, Who are you to tell me what to do? You're only son of a grocer. End quote. Na-radicalize si Ejop ng martial law at nakita niya itong unjust kaya naman he joined New People's Army. Noong 1979, he was captured, tortured, and escaped by bribing the guards. Noong 1982 naman, hinant siya at tinatay ng constabulary sa nangyaring raid sa Medavao del Norte. Pero marami nang sasabi na nahuli siya ng buhay sa kapinatay. His body sustained nine bullet wounds sa chest, sa leg, and sa right arm. And the list goes on and on and on. Ayon kay Danilo Vismanos, West Point trained Navy captain turned activist, yung estimate niya na nagsuffer sa martial law were 7,000 na tinorture, 2,000 salvaged or executed, and then 1,000 naman yung nawawala. Yung estimate niyang numbers ay tugma sa number of legal claimants of human rights violations against Marcoses sa may Hawaii case. Dagdag pa rito yung Task Force Detainees of the Philippines 
mas nagbigay ng specific numbers. Sa record nila, from 1965 to 1986, merong 2,668 ang inaresto, 306 total number of arrested individuals, 398 disappearances, 1,338 salvaging, 128 frustrated salvaging, at 1,499 killed or wounded in massacres. Pero yung Amnesty International, 1977 Nobel Peace Prize recipient and respected activist organization on human rights gives a not-so-conservative estimate sa ilang taon ng martial law. Ayon sa kanila, merong 70,000 ang nakulong, 34,000 ang tinorture, at 3,240 ang pinatay. Nagbabari yung numbers dahil imposible yung magkaroon ng isang resulta yung bilang ng mga biktima dahil Some of the victims and their families chose not to speak and pursue legal actions sa takot na balikan sila. Pero despite sa pagkakaiba ng statistics, hindi lang ito basta-basang numero. Meron silang mga pangalan, meron silang mga pamilyang naiwan at mga buhay na nasira dahil lang sa kasakaman ni Marcos sa kapangyarihan. At hindi mo masisisi na lumaban itong mga ito para sa kanilang karapatan. Dahil naniniwala ako na when you oppress people, they will unite and rebel against the oppressor. I always say this na choose to side with the oppressed and marginalized people and amplify their voices. Katulad na lang ng mga magsasaka, indigenous people. Now if you're going to tell me na merong peace and order at golden age ng panahon ni Marcos, well girl, think again because there's none. You have been fooled with wrong information by the one who controls it at that time. Hindi porket, hindi mo naranasan, hindi na nangyari. And I always get this irritating comment na hindi ka pa buhay nun to say such hateful words towards the Marcoses. At saka meron pa yung galit na galit ka kay Marcos, eh di huwag kang gumamit ng mga infrastructure na pinagawa niya. Ganon. I'm sorry to break it up to you, boo-boo. Pero kung mas importante sa'yo, yung mga pinatayong infrastructure ni Marcos na inutang niya at ninakaw na hanggang ngayon binabayaran pa rin natin, kesa sa libo-libong pinatay niya, you are choosing to side with a murderer. Utak mamamatay tao ka. You have to re-evaluate yourself. Besides, pera ng bayan yung pondo na ginamit para sa mga proyekto niya. Kaya hindi ko maintindihan kung bakit kailangan magkaroon ng utang na loob. Girl, sa gitna ng economic devastation at mga infrastructure, glitz and glamour na pinapakita ng mga Marcoses, it was nothing but a social anesthesia. And let me give you a quick rundown sa economic data ng Pilipinas during the time of Marcos ayon sa mga economist. Number one, bumaba yung sahod. So for example, yung kinikita ng mga magsasaka noong 1962 ay 100 pesos, naging 70 pesos na lang noong 1986. Yung mga unskilled worker na kinikita ng 100 pesos noong 1962, 26 pesos na lang noong 1986. Pati yung mga skilled worker na kinikita ng 100 pesos noong 1962, 28 pesos na lang noong 1986. Number two, mas humirap yung mga Pilipino noong Marcos era. 41% ng mga Pilipino ay mahirap. Pero noong 1985, naging 58% ito at lalo naging lugmok sa kahirapan yung mga kababayan natin. So, anim sa sampung mga Filipino 
ay mahihirap. Noong 1973 naman, yung underemployment and unemployment ay nasa 10%. And then noong 1982, pumalo sa 33%. Noong 1978 and 1986 naman, tumaas yung presyo ng mga basic commodities. So, either wala kang trabaho or may trabaho ka pero hindi regular. Tapos, mataas pa yung mga bilihin. So, yun yung panahon ni Marcos. Number three, ang daming utang ng Pilipinas. Noong 1965, yung Philippine foreign currency loan ay nasa 600 US dollars. Noong 1986 naman, naging 26 billion dollars ito at pumalo ng 4,300% increase. Okay lang naman yung utang kung yung foreign export ng bansa ay lumalaki rin at the same rate. Pero hindi. Also, before you come for me and call me names and call me Dilawan and brought up the atrocities the Aquinos did, guess what, Mini? Guess what? I don't worship any politician or any political families. And that's on period. Injustice is injustice. At kailangan i-condemn at i-hold accountable ito mga nagaharing uri na ito sa ginawa nilang mga atrocities. Hindi dapat ito tinatrato na black and white at tinitingnan na kung sinong mas maraming kasalanan na nagawa. And lastly, tigilan na natin yung pag-idolize, pag-worship, at pag-praise dito sa mga politicians na ito. Tumakbo sila sa person na yan para maglingkod sa bayan, hindi para gawing celebrity at sambahen. Mm-hmm. Ugaliin natin i-practice yung critical thinking. Alam mo yun, mag-dissent, mag-oppose, mag-protest. Um, Kung mayroon tayong nakikita ang mali na ginagawa ng mga inelect nating politicians. Kasi doon magkakaroon ng compromise, right? Anyway, I think walang military or constabulary ang nakulong na nag-commit or responsible sa human rights violation sa libo-libong mga Pilipino. Even Marcos was never tried dahil he fled the country at nag-exile sa Hawaii with the protection of United States. Mm-hmm. Although nakumpis ka ng gobyerno yung ilang ill-gotten wealth ng mga Marcoses at guilty of seven counts of graft, CML na Marcos, and no, this hair, this look is not in spite of her because she's not on my level. Okay? Anyway, she was never jailed. Mm-hmm. Yung dictatorship ni Marcos brought a shame at maraming student leaders, intellectuals, academe, ang pinaslang na marami pa sanang opportunities na nagiintay para sa kanila. At kung hindi natin ito sasariwain, pag-uusapan, mauulit at mauulit lang ito na mararanasan ng mga susunod na henerasyon. Instead na bigyan ng plataforma yung anak ng diktador, I'm looking at you, Tony. Bakit hindi natin bigyang pansin, ipalaganap, yung mga naranasan ng mga biktima during martial law? Or much better, bakit hindi natin interviewin yung mga survivor ng martial law para malaman talaga natin yung kalupitan ni Marcos during that time? With that, I say, never again and no to historical distortion. So that is the crimes against humanity during martial law. Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. Mag-usap tayo and hopefully handa kayo at registered para bumoto next year. And please lang, alamin natin, ano, usisahain natin yung mga politiko na ito, ano ba yung mga agenda nila. At kung pwede tayo mag-background check 
why not gawin natin yan para lang ma-make sure na tama yung iboboto natin. Thank you, thank you so much for watching. As always, please keep safe and healthy and I'll see you guys on my next video. Bye!